Father God, we give thanks for your goodness. And Lord, in, in times where we often forget that or um, maybe we are uh, cognizant of that and just to uh, remember again that you are a good God, you are a great God. And Lord, we take comfort in that and I pray your blessing upon this time. I pray your anointing uh, as I prayed this morning for uh, this sermon, these words, and uh, for each person that's here. They're here for a purpose. They're not here by an accident. Uh, you have a word. You have a message for them this morning. And God, I pray that they would re receive that. And it might be something that encourages them. It might be something that actually causes them a little bit discomfort because it means change for their life. And I pray that you would go before them, beside them, behind them. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. We're in the third of a four-part series called Flourish, and Flourish is really for us to look at what does it mean to really live life in the very fullest, in the abundant life. Uh, Jesus makes this extraordinary claim on his mission and purpose of life. He says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. But he said, I came so that you may have life. Not only just life, not an average life, not a mediocre life, but actually life to the fullest. The extraordinary promise. So for us, we've been kind of breaking it down. What does that mean to really live the fullest life? In other words, to flourish. Socrates said that, that the goal of life is to flourish. So we've been talking about what that looks like. And this morning, what I want to do is really for us, and Brian and I were talking about this past week, uh, which I think is a very timely sermon, for us to really look at our own lives. For, for you and I to embrace ourselves. If you have teaching notes this morning, I'm going to jump right in here. Um, is the, this is the question. And this is the question that I'm going to try to answer through the course of this sermon. Are you comfortable in your own skin? Are you comfortable in your own skin? I was sharing this with a hairstylist. I got my hair cut this past week. I, didn't, I had not met her before, and I was sharing the topic with her because she asked me what I did for a living, and I told her I was a pastor, and, and then I talked about my sermon, and, and then I went through it, and I said, you don't have to go to church on Sunday. You just heard the whole thing. And... And uh, anyways, I, I shared the topic, and she, and she said, you know what? It's taken me 61 years to get there. And I finally think I'm comfortable in my own skin, embracing who I am. Dove uh, Soap did a whole marketing campaign, if you remember this, about being comfortable in your own skin. And this first video we're going to show is actually absolutely remarkable, where uh, this forensic artist uh, would, uh, not looking at the, the women, he would draw a picture based on their descriptions of themselves. Then they had complete strangers uh, come in and, and look at each of the women and then spend like 15, 20 minutes just looking at them. And then they would sit down with a forensic artist and describe what they saw. And here's part of that. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I had never been and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them, they couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. 
And in that, uh, those commercials, there was a set of them that women tend to be harder on their appearance. And uh, as you saw right there, they would describe themselves in very negative terms, and yet those who, who just met them and saw them, uh, a totally different picture. Now, as men, I think we tend to overthink our appearance. And they actually did a parody on this. Let's take a look at it. My name is Jeff Smith. I have been a forensic artist for the LAPD for over 25 years. Uh, we showed up to a place we had never been, and there was a guy there with a drafting board. Uh, we couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your eyes. We couldn't figure out what was going on at first, but after a few questions, I realized he was drawing us. A lot of people say they're, they're an abyss because they just don't end. <laughs> and what about your teeth? <laughs> My mom said I had the most beautiful teeth, and uh, so I love to smile. I would say the older I've gotten, the more stunning I've gotten. <laughs> I would say I have a balanced face. Almost like a white Denzel Washington. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this woman. I don't know, I guess his face was like kind of dirty looking. Overall, I'd say he really looked like a lawn gnome. He looked <laughs> like he smelled really bad, and, and he did, actually. I don't know, I guess his eyes just kind of like, like bugged out when he talked, I guess. I can't remember if he had eyebrows. Does anybody? Remember if he had eyebrows? You know, like something out of, like fresh out of Mordor. Wow. This is a sketch you helped me create. And this is a sketch that someone else created. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a, like a movie star. And, and uh, looks like he'll probably die soon. Opinions could be so vastly different. That is not me. And I refuse to believe it. So, do you think you're more beautiful than you say? That's good. That's going to be part of our men's fraternity curriculum uh, this year, so. Anyways, but I think uh, it was just a lot of fun. But I think, you know, in a lot of ways, when we talk about being comfortable in our own skin, it's really what's the prevailing opinion in our lives? Uh, we, we tend to uh, perceive or look at ourselves based on what others seem to see or, or tell us. And that's why I want to begin as we talk about being comfortable in your own skin. What is the prevailing opinion in your, in your life? How many of our decisions are controlled by what others think about us or what we think others think about us? How many, when we, when we buy clothes, that we buy clothes not so much for what we like and are comfortable in, but actually uh, that others would be impressed with us or perhaps hold us to a certain standard. How many of us, when we're in a situation, and I fall in this at times too, that the, the truth or correction needs to be brought out, but we kind of pull it back. 
because we, we don't want that person or perhaps those couple people of ours um, to look at us in, in, a, in a bad light. We want to be thought highly. So we tend not to, to really share. And that's where their opinion really dictates our lives. And what I want to look at is a very, a very um, short verse that um, I don't think I've ever preached on this before, but it's found in Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. And Proverbs is mostly written by a guy named Solomon, and, and Solomon was called the wisest man uh, on the face of the earth if you're new to the Bible. And in verse 25, um, this is written. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. I'd like you to circle the word dangerous and, and, like, and like you to circle the word, word safety because what he's doing is that he's comparing and contrasting. On one side, we have really a, a dangerous way of living, and the other side, there's, there's safety. And what he's saying is that when we say fearing people, we're talking about whether their opinion actually influences our lives. It actually directs our lives, and that's a dangerous way of living. And what the writer says here then, in contrast, conversely, is that when we trust the Lord, when his opinion supersedes anything else, that's the way to live. That's the flourishing life. He calls it safety. But it's really living life the way that we were meant to live. And when God's opinion prevails, it's amazing what happens to us. And I think for us, as we talk about uh, being comfortable in our own skin, is to realize what the Bible says about us. That you are a majestic, beautiful creation of God. I think some of us need to hear that. That you are a wonderful Unique, unique creation of God. You're not an accident. You're not simply a biological uh, byproduct. Is that you are, in the words of Genesis chapter 2, is that you are made by God, kind of like a potter with clay. The Hebrew is yatsar. Is that he formed you and shaped you. And because of that, the image of God, his, his likeness, who he is, is woven into your DNA. It's woven into your bloodstream. It's woven into your personality. And as a result, we ought to be comfortable with who we are because we are made in the image of God. The Latin term is imago Dei. The early church fathers came up with that. Is that that's a big deal. And for us to embrace ourselves and be comfortable with ourselves, to embrace exactly who we are is because we are made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis once said, you have never met an ordinary person. Every person is extraordinary because they're a child of God being comfortable in your own skin. So instead of the, the opinion of other people, instead of the opinion of family and friends, which is helpful at times, however, God's opinion ought to be higher. And this is God's opinion of you. That's the second fill in the blank. God's opinion of you. There's over 90 verses of who you are in the eyes of God throughout the Bible. I, I don't have time to go through all 90. This is just a fraction of this. And some of you, this would do well for you if you put this on your bathroom mirror. First thing you saw in the morning, the last thing you saw at night are these passages, these true statements about you, okay? Or put it in your car, uh, maybe in your cubicle. And I'm simply going to uh, change the pronoun into a, a second voice here. You are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. You are an expression of the life of Christ because he is your life. You are a daughter or son of light and not of darkness. 
You can be comfortable in your own skin. You can embrace who you are because of these true statements. You are forgiven on the account of Jesus' name. You are a child of God, and you resemble Christ when he returns. That is, should blow your mind. Wow. Right here. You are loved. Some of you this morning, that's exactly what you need to hear. In an unloving world at times, in an unloving culture at times, is that you are loved by God. You are born of God, and the evil one, the devil, cannot touch you. Some of us need to hear that. You are an heir of God since you are a child of God. Here's a, good, here's a big one. You are a saint. So maybe for some of you, let's go back to you know, some family or friends and just say, you know what, you need to start calling me St. Charles or St. Patrick, St. Kathy. You know, and that might kind of blow their mind a little bit, especially if they're Catholic, you know. All right. You, you are God's masterpiece. Workmanship, his handiwork. In the Greek, it's poema. I've mentioned this so many times in my sermons, but I just keep mentioning it. Poema, it's where you get the word poem. You're, you are God's song, born anew in Christ Jesus to do his work. What opinion controls you? Do these words influence you in your life and how you look at yourself? They ought to. They ought to be the prevailing opinion in your life. And if we're placing our, our lives in the, the person and work of Christ, then there is no greater force or opposing entity that can subdue what is real inside of us. That inside your heart is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, you should be comfortable in your own skin. You ought to embrace who you are. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 22. Because there's a, a very important passage here. It's called the greatest commandment. If you haven't heard of this passage before. But um, Jesus simply asked the, the question, you know, when it really gets down to it, What's the most important stuff? Okay, he's asked by, uh, he's asked by I think, a teacher of the law. And a, a teacher of the law asked him, what's the, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing in the, in the Old Testament uh, called the Hebrew Scriptures? And in verse 37, Jesus replies with this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I've preached a number of sermons on that passage. Next one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've talked preach many sermons on loving others. That's so important for us. And then Jesus says this, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets. In other words, the whole Bible can be summed up just in that right there. Now we talk about loving God and, and loving our, our neighbor, but that subtle phrase right there, as yourself. Jesus is reiterating Leviticus 19.18. And Leviticus was a very important book for Jewish people. As young boys and girls, that was the first book they read. There was no nursery rhymes. It was Leviticus. And it was a treasured book. And it's a book about doing life. It's a book about doing worship and really being in relationship with God. And that exact passage is in Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus reiterates it right here. He's saying, this is, this is what it's all about. So Leviticus in the Old Testament, and then we have Matthew right here. So we're saying it, it's pretty important. And this is the deal. This is why God doesn't spell this out in another verse. He assumes self-love. As yourself. As yourself. You may have never heard a sermon about loving yourself. 
This might be the first time for you in hearing a sermon about loving yourself. And, and I think as Midwestern people, we have a hard time with that because we simply we send, t- uh, tend to have maybe an average or sub-average view about who we are. Right? Something in us, we have flaws, we have quirks, and we, we tend to have maybe a sub-average view of ourselves, And it's, it's hard for us to love ourselves. And I think it gets a little jumbled too. It reminds me of the story of Greek mythology, the story about, about Narcissus. Narcissus was this Greek god, and he was incredibly handsome, strikingly handsome, but he was incapable of love. And there was a woman named Echo, according to the Greek mythology, who was entranced with him, enthralled with him, and she wanted to get his attention. She did everything possible. Speak to him, trying everything, and Narcissus would not respond back. And gradually, Echo disappeared, and all was left was her voice, an echo. Nemesis, another of the Greek gods, got very furious and angry with uh, Narcissus. So he tricked him. He said, Narcissus, I want you to go to this fountain of water. You're really, it's really pure and very clean. You're going to like this water. So Narcissus went to this fountain of water, and he leaned over, and it was so clear and so pure, he actually saw a reflection of himself. He saw himself for the first time. And all of a sudden, he fell in love with himself. He couldn't move. In fact, he was so, so into himself, he could not move. And the Greek gods became enraged, and they turned Narcissus into a flower next to the fountain. And I don't have to spell it out to you, but that's where that word comes from. Not only do we get the word echo and nemesis, but also the word narcissus. And, and the fact of being narcissistic is about being self-absorbed and self-centered. And we're not talking about that when we say self-love. When it comes to having a narcissistic attitude or perspective on ourselves, and we say self-love, it's not about that. It's not about being absorbed with yourself. It's not about being centered uh, with yourself. There was a marriage uh, that, that broke up. Some friends of mine, I was trying to help them, and their marriage fell apart. And what she said is that this marriage has, has been so hard on me because everything in our family, it seems like, in our marriage, is centered around him. What he wants to do, what he likes to do, what he dislikes. And she said he has this very narcissistic attitude and perspective. And she said, that's why our marriage has, has failed. When we say self-love, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about this self-centeredness. We're actually talking about having this healthy self-love. As Jesus says, to love our neighbor as ourself. And for us to be reminded that God loves us. You are God's dear children. He loves you beyond your imagination. And as such, you ought to love yourself in a healthy way. God loves us enough he sent the son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. That's how much he's into you. And for you to be okay with embracing who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, your blind spots, the things that you do well, embrace them. Also embrace your quirks, your idiosyncrasies, the weird stuff, you know, like maybe it's your laugh or maybe it's, it's something you do and, or like me, you can't really dance that well or something, whatever that is. You embrace that in your life and say, that's okay. I'm comfortable in, in my own skin. And for those of you who are in your 20s and 30s and 40s, don't wait, and like the hairstylist, don't wait until you're 61 to really get it. Get it now. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. Self-love. God assumes self-love. And the question for us today is, what steps do we need to take to do that? What steps do we need to take? Well, one of them is this. Next fill in the blank. Is that self-love means that we do not harm ourselves. That might seem very self-evident, but that is what love is all about. You don't have to turn to this, but Romans 12, 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. True love seeks to do what is good for whoever is loved. You know, we see people all the time who do themselves harm. And it's a terribly unloving thing to do. And I see it. You see it. And we are to love ourselves, and, and yet we do ourselves physical harm. So as we talk about doing harm, I want to start with physically first. We do physical harm to ourselves with the intake of drugs or tobacco or too much alcohol or the lack of sleep that causes problems in our bodies. And researchers say that 100 years ago, the average American would sleep nine hours of sleep, or nine hours each night. When's the last time you had nine hours of sleep, you parents? Yeah. 50 years ago, it was eight hours on the average. Now it's less than seven hours a night. And researchers have said that, that collectively, as the American workforce, we've become so busy and so fatigued, it's actually causing problems for businesses. Because after lunch, sort of early afternoon, people get very drowsy and very sleepy, right? And as a result, their work suffers. And it's causing... Uh, problems for companies. It's, it's impacting the bottom line for companies. And they're talking about the, the lack of sleep among workers. In fact, there's more uh, crashes among automobiles today because of sleepiness than intoxication. Now imagine this. If you saw a parent um, depriving a child of sleep or introducing that child's diet, things that would damage the child's body, you wouldn't be very happy with that. You would term that child abuse, you'd call the officials right away. Yet we do that to ourselves, don't we? For some reason, it, it, it's like different. But we are harming ourselves. We're harming ourselves physically. For some of us, it's, it's the food we eat. Some of us need to cut back from fast food. I would love to eat a Big Mac every day of my life. I would. You know, like for me, Culver's is the Mecca. I mean, it's right across the street from my townhouse. When I take my dogs out for a walk in the evening, I, I just can smell the hamburger. And they do too, because they, they, they point towards Culver's. It's amazing. And yet I have to go in a different direction, because all of a sudden I find myself like a magnet being pulled across Highway 55. But, but some of us need to pull back from fast food. Because here's the, here's the deal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, this is a very important pa- uh, verse where Paul says this, he actually asks a sort of rhetorical question. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. So what he's saying is that the the temple is right here inside you. Because after uh, the Roman War in AD 66 through 70, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. There was no temple anymore. And, and Paul writes this saying, no, the temple is not found in Jerusalem. It's not brick and mortar anymore. The temple of God is actually in human, human lives. And think about that for a second. It's like you come to church. There's a sort of decorum when you come to church. 
I mean, it'd be kind of odd if one of you walked over and took a sledgehammer and smacked one of the bricks over there. It'd be kind of odd, wouldn't it? Or perhaps throw tomatoes at the wall. Or to do damage to the church. It's almost like that, that sort of tone the line of, of blasphemy. Like the unforgivable sin to do something like that to a church or a sanctuary. Why do we do that to ourselves? Because inside you, you have something very sacred. That's what Paul's trying to say. He, you, your, your life, who you are, it's a sacred thing. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It matters what you eat. For the first time in my life, at the age of 47, I'm buying organic. Not a lot. A few things here and there. I'm edging my way into it. I'm not there yet. Sarah's clapping for me. I don't know why. It's a hard thing. And then I have a friend of mine and their family, they have what's called Meatless Mondays. That doesn't sound fun to me. It sounds like the opposite of heaven. Hell, you know, Meatless Mondays, like I grew up on a farm, was meat and potatoes and corn every single night. But I'm starting to move in that direction because I need to. Some of us need to exercise better because we have, to, we have to take care of ourselves. Not allowing harm to our bodies physically, it makes a big difference. So maybe as you walk away this morning is uh, tomorrow telling your kids, hey, it's, it, it's Meatless Monday. You didn't blame it on me. Send some angry emails, kids. All right. But it's not just physically, but as, as well. It's also relationally. What we do with our, our bodies, obviously overlap between physical and relational, but in the relationships that we have with other people, engaging in affairs, for example, does harm. It harms our soul. It harms the other person's soul. And also harms innocent victims of someone's behavior on that. And there's all kinds of relationships that do us in, that cause us harm. And we allow it to happen. We get into business partnerships that damage us. We get into alliances or perhaps hang out with people that are not, it's not good for us. And for those of you who are high school or college students, you need to hear this. Perhaps the group of people you hang out with really bring you down. And with their words and what they say and how they treat you, they're doing great damage to you. I think those of us who are past those years can go back to uh, those moments. Like, like we, can, we can pull up that tape in a second when that, th- that word was said to us, or that phrase, or that look, or how we were treated. Yeah, it's relationships too. We get into, into these relationships and they drag us down. And if we saw a friend behave that way, we would intervene and say, you don't need that. Don't allow that to happen. But how about you looking out for yourself and saying, I don't need that. To really live out this greatest commandment of self-love means that I draw the line on those who are going to do harm to me in relationships. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't forgive them. But you draw a line and say, you know what? It's just not good for me. I need people around me that love me and support me. If we truly loved ourselves, we would take on that advice. I just remember uh, in 2008, the public outrage over Michael Vick, then the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. And I love watching Michael Vick. I remember that once game against the Vikings. You remember that game? He broke like 10 tackles. I think it was overtime and scored a touchdown. It was an unbelievable run. He could run so fast. He could throw the ball. Great quarterback for the Falcons. But what happened in 2008 is that he was exposed on training uh, pit bulls uh, to fight. He would have these, these bets, and he would have these, um, these, in, these the, in his uh, estate, he would have his trained pit bulls take on normal family dogs, domestic friendly, and his pit bulls would just ravage them. And the public outcry about these dogs and how they were harmed, 
and how they were hurt. It was just remarkable to me to see, you know, people can't stand certain things, and one of them is dogs, innocent, vulnerable dogs. And I think in the same way, if we have that kind of attitude about our dogs or cats, that I don't want harm to happen, we ought to have that at least for ourselves, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Self-love is biblical. It's not just physical. It's not just relational, but it's also spiritual. We can damage and harm ourselves with spiritual neglect. We can mistreat our bodies. Many times our, our souls and minds are influenced by toxic thoughts that come into our lives. And for us is to take care of our souls and protect ourselves. And one of the best ways that we can do this, actually, is through reading the Bible. I want to encourage every one of you, whether you're in a community group or not, is actually to engage in this uh, new uh, devotional that we have called Immerse. It's, it's the Bible. It's reframed. For example, this one begins with Luke, and it makes its way uh, on this to Revelation. And these books are tied around themes. And it's, it's the Bible, but it's just reframed and, and reorganized. And this one's on the Messiah. I want to encourage you to get a copy of this. And we're going to have a bunch available next week. And you also can get this on your Kindle or online. But actually follow the reading plan. Because one of the best ways that you can avoid harm on your spiritual life and actually bring some, some health is by immersing yourself in God's Word. I hope everybody in our church does this. Well, the next one is this. Obviously, this is a big task. Some of us need help. I need help with this. And this is the last fill in the blank, is community helps with self-love. I need people around me. I need, I need friends that are going to help me see myself as God sees me, how they see me. And I can tell you right now, my life would be very different here in 2017 if I didn't have a community group. It's a ministry that we provide. Nick explained it. And for me, just as a pastor, but also just as a normal person, I need my community group. I've been in the same group for six years. Loving, supportive group of people who have helped me through so many things, and, and we've helped each other, and it's just this beautiful community. And I know that I would not be able to see myself on, on some of these passages the way God sees me without my community group. Community helps us with self-love. And I want to show a video that explains more about our community groups and how you can sign up for them as well. We live in a, a fast-paced society, and we don't have personal, deep relationships. And I think a lot of us experience loneliness at times. In fact, the Bible says actually the first thing not good is when man is alone, when humanity is alone. Deep within us is there's this sort of this primal ache of, of being connected and, and having community. For people that come to a Sunday morning service, that's a great experience, but it's not enough. And the sort of vision that the Bible gives and what we also uh, endorse here at Maple Grove Covenant is where uh, we get connected in a smaller group in, in homes for us to, to know others, also to be known, uh, to belong into a community a group of others that we know who are advocating for us, that love us, that laugh with us, they cry with us. It's not simply just a Bible study. Uh, it's not just a sort of isolated ministry. It's woven in the fabric of Go Love Live, within the live especially. 
is to live in community where we are together with others. It really enables a person to move from simply knowing some folks on Sunday morning and, and having some hallway conversations, but actually engaging in a more profound and deep friendship where you really feel like you're doing life with others and that you're on this journey together and you're not alone, but you actually have some friends alongside you. Yeah, and I want to encourage you, do, don't hesitate. Some of you have put this off for a year. It, this happens every fall. And perhaps you look at your schedule. It's always busy. You're always going to be busy. You're always going to have kids' activities and things like that. But I want to encourage you to take the step. Be courageous. Go over to one of the, the tables there. Check them out. There's different places, different times, different age groups. And sign up for one today. Because there is something about being loved that helps us in our lives. Not only to love God and love neighbors, but also for us to love ourselves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our heavenly Father, who is love, we thank you that we're created in your likeness, and in your likeness we have the capacity for wonder and beauty of love. But help us to get it right. Help us to love you passionately and fully with our hearts and our souls and our minds. And help us to love ourselves just the way you love us. God, give us eyes of heaven for us to see ourselves like you see us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said?